Hello and welcome to episode 388 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. We're again coming to you in different locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion Storm. I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. It's the Jimmy Graham edition. Is that the right? NFC West leading Seattle Seahawks. It is go. the Jimmy Graham edition of the podcast. I, I did pause for a second because I considered going with the the two-time ML, two-time MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders FC, but they're not actually headquartered in Seattle. They are headquartered Tequila. in currently in Tequila, but moving soon, ever so soon. To where? To Renton. Hello. Hello. There we go. They're going across the 405 to Quilla, uh, to the Longacres site. And another be W in the notch of Renton, Washington. Ahead of Thank the you. You're scared, Cafe Vita. Scared dicks. The Seattle Sounders ain't scared. That's who. Come to Renton, Washington. All small local chains except Taco Time and Top Pot. Thank you for your service. All right. Well, it's the Halloween. It's been like edition. kind of a, a longer running bit than I think it would would have become. Well, and, and it's only me have, who's in on it. Have have, moved I, to Renton. I feel like we have no. Oh, there's a house for sale across the street. If you're thinking about it, no, I'm, I'm good. If you want to live right in between me and Katie, uh, oh, that house is available. No, no, no. If that house is available, I'd actually be forcing you to. <laughs> uh, it, it's like it's it doesn't back up to either of our backyards, but. Uh, there, I, there apparently are no listeners in Ren Washington, so nobody well, else not, has gotten not currently because we have the Fairwood listeners, but they've they are, all moved. No there are people in... who are from Ren Washington who've moved. Literally, we probably have more listeners somewhere in fucking like the Midwest. I feel like than Ren in Iowa. Yeah, there are more people in Iowa, in St. Louis, in Chicago, in every single city in the Midwest, in Omaha. Right? We're just we're just begging. The Renton listener, listener to email us now about That's pizza. Basically, what we're doing, <laughs> yeah, what the Renton style pizza. <laughs> style pizza. What is the pizza place? Uh, you're the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no notes. Ten out of ten. That's Renton style pizza. <laughs> I mean, there was a Shakey's ad on the Lakers broadcast tonight. Was uh, there really? Oh yeah, Shakey's I mean, it's still a big thing in California. In yeah. They'll even put your name up on on, on the uh, on the what do you call that thing? Reader board. On the reader board, if you bring a large enough group. All right. Well, let's get into this week's beer. Uh, I think this is the last week of fresh hop season because there was only one fresh hop beer left, and I was actually was looking for a Halloween themed beer, but sadly could not find one at uh, Super Deli Mart today. So instead, from further beer, we have the uh, just. Just simply named Fresh Hop IPA. Fresh Strata from Crosby Harms was hops. Crosby Hops was added to our West Coast IPA days before packaging, creating a wonderful Fresh Hop presence. We'll see about that for their beer. I'll be the judge of that. Wow. Okay. Let's start with a happy Halloween to the listener. Uh, is is this comes out? You may be listening to this well after Halloween, but is this comes out? It will be Halloween. And, and if you're listening to this after Halloween. Might I wish you a happy Christmas season because it starts November no, 1st. It does not. It, it categorically <laughs> does not. I know that no one will agree with me, but secretly everybody will agree with me. Some people will agree with you. There, there's already like a Walmart Christmas ad, Christmas ad. The Pelton cast listener, I feel like, and, and maybe I am stereotyping here. Uh, I don't know how things go in the Midwest, of course, because that's where the Pelton cast listener lives, evidently. <laughs> but there's a bunch in Europe. spread throughout the world except for anywhere near seattle washington and but i i do feel like the pelton cast listener is like high up there on people who do not agree with the christmas creep i i 100 percent agree with that (laughs) probably have a type further on the spectrum of thinking that we should go back to just bowl games uh I don't know about that one i think i'm you're 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 assuming the listener is too much me on that you well, these are kind of just your perspectives or whatever. Those are uh, two of my But I do feel like the Pelton Cast listener is very much for the sanctity of Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
And also, Dia de los Muertos. Put some respect on Dia de los Muertos' name, please. I absolutely do. It's the first day of Christmas season. How? What a respectful thing to do. <laughs> but the the reality is, Thanksgiving can just be part of Christmas season. Does that make sense? It doesn't diminish from Thanksgiving. It's just an important pillar in Christmas season. I suppose. I was dropping bombs to Luca on Saturday night too, because our neighborhood Halloween party was over. Where, uh, uh, you came dressed as a Taylor Swift inspired costume and that that was over and Luca was like I'm so sad Halloween feels like it's over and I was like bro it isn't even Halloween yet I I know but I was like these things that we that we look forward to around the holiday season they're not about the event themselves it's about everything leading up to it it's all the different activities the rituals that you do leading up to it I was like, it's about going to the pumpkin patch. It's about going to the haunted forest. It's about watching scary movies. The holiday season is that same way. Thanksgiving is a little bit more. It's kind of the only one of the holidays that is specifically just about Thanksgiving Day, if that makes sense. But yeah. it's also about like the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving when you're seeing Thanksgiving people at Numos. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, I'm not going to make it. Wait, why? A jazz are playing in Portland. Oof, that's brutal. I agree. Uh, but I was like, Christmas isn't about Christmas Day. That's the thing that people don't realize. Yes, Christmas Day is good, but it's about going to see the fucking Garden Delights, you know, going to the zoo. Like, those are the things that Christmas is about. You think it's about the day, but secretly, it's about the friends we made along the way. Wow, but you can do all of those things after Thanksgiving. Because that's when the Christmas Thanksgiving. That's the that's the same thing. The Christmas season is also part of Thanksgiving. Having Thanksgiving, it's one of the pillars. The Christmas season isn't it just about like Christmas Day or all of those things. It's about Thanksgiving Day beforehand. It is literally part of the Christmas season. Embrace this. It gives you more Christmas. And if there's one thing that I know, it's that we need a little Christmas. Again, as you as I've said on this pod last week, you of all people should know about the value, believing in the value of scarcity. I know the person who's just like, no tacos at home. <laughs> you know what, though? Last week I got home. I was going to eat something for lunch. It turned out that uh, it was something that was left in my fridge by one of your bands that had stayed here. And it was long expired. How so long ago? Like, that band has not stayed there for a long time. I, I know. That's why it's long expired. And I was like, well, what am I going to eat for lunch now? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I have some crisp burritos chilling in the in the freezer right now. Wow. So I ate those. That's really great that you had some subpar crisp burritos when instead you could have driven literally five minutes to a taco time. That, that was way too much effort. No, I was never going to do that. Zero Going to a taco time is too much effort? At that moment when I was just hungry and ready to eat right then? Yes. All right. Okay. Our toast, our lone toast this week, is this, a good. This is why I had to talk about the Christmas season. Good luck to Talk and Taco Time co-host Chris Smith in the National Lawn Bowling Championships this week. So, there we go. Advanced all the way to nationals. He'll be on next week to tell us about his performance. Hopefully, as lawn bowling national champion. What a toast that would be! That would be an at, incredible toast. I haven't looked at Chris's stories. Did he make it to the? Cracking game in Tampa Bay. He, he did. did. There yes. you go. Yeah. So yeah. He'll, he'll have a report live on the scene from that game. More of us looking at on Chris's Instagram later. <laughs> <laughs> what a fine segment. It's one of the pillars of the Halloween season. Actually, I said it's going to be later. We we have no Mariners content today. I have no food, food news on the roundup here. Uh, we've already done our 10 players to watch. We're right into the roundup here. Well, we're not in the no, I guess that, we're did. not. We're, we're kind of emergency pod style. Correct. Because... We're going to start by talking about the Seahawks. So are we starting with the trade that happened today, or are we starting with the, the Browns game yesterday? We'll start with the Browns game because it informs the trade. Okay. You said you have some thoughts. I mean, we talked about this enough offline to know that we agree about these thoughts. People are all like, the offense was so bad. I don't get it. They couldn't move the ball at all in the second half. And it's like, yeah, you know what else that's true of? Everyone else who's played against Cleveland all season. Like, you, there's not enough adjustment for the opponent. The defense 
came through with a number of crucial turnovers, but relative to the strengths of the Browns and PJ Walker is quarterback and no Jerome Ford, you know, very little Jerome Ford. He played a little bit Kareem Hunt getting the, you know, the preponderance of the carries. The Seahawks defense was not nearly as good yesterday as the Seahawks offense and DVOA reflects it. The offense wow. stayed ninth where it was. The defense stayed 15th, which is approximately where it was. The offense is still better than the defense. Yeah, no, I I think full agree. I mean, at the same time, when you're there in the moment, seeing how well the offense played, I knew that I cursed it, right? I told Luca went to the game with me and I, at the end of the first quarter, I was like, this is like the best game that Geno Smith has ever played. Oh my, you, you said that? I know. I knew that I was doing it while I said it. I was confident enough in the score. Look, it, look, I don't claim to be a smart person, but like everything that I say turns out to be wrong. So if I say the exact opposite, it has to be right. <laughs> but I should have said this is the worst game Geno Smith has ever played. But I think that was the frustrating part was how good the offense did in the first quarter and how much they were containing that Browns defense, Miles Garrett in particular, in the first quarter, that it was stark how different it was in the second or thir- and third quarters. But there's something that we all know from watching football, which is things eventually even out. Sometimes it's a it, doesn't long necessarily, it doesn't necessarily happen in a quarter. But like when the Seahawks came out early, I was like, this game is going to teeter in two directions, which I guess is true of any situation. But you can kind of feel like this game, that game could have gotten out of control and the Seahawks could have fully blown out the Browns. And there was a window for that to happen. And you expected that because the Browns were in a situation where they had to rely much more heavily on P.J. Walker throwing the ball because of the fact that they were behind all game. And look, kudos to the Browns. I actually thought that the Browns, I thought Kevin Stefanski, aside from some of like, I think in in a couple of different ways, Kevin Stefanski coached an excellent game in a couple of ways. He coached an awful game. They punted a lot more than they should have punted. Yes. They, they played they played a way too conservative game when they should have been playing an underdog game, and they didn't. And they lost the game because of it. And really, those are the situations like teams from Seattle have benefited by other teams being too conservative playing against them. Like, you should see that you need to be aggressive when you're an underdog on the road. Somehow, right? really, you know, they've also benefited it. when teams have played aggressively against them. Maybe the Seahawks have just been lucky. The Oregon, uh, Oregon fourth down that they they failed on the uh, the fourth down that Arizona State attempted that turned into the Mishael Powell pick six. So weirdly, just whatever has happened on fourth down. I mean, the record is good the for both teams combined, right? Like both teams are thirteen and two. Is that right? Yeah. So look, the, more things are going to have gone right than not. But I do think Kevin Stefanski offensively, like the offense that they had for that Seahawks defense, he's considering things. Well, considering it was PJ Walker, I was like, he coached a pretty damn good game, all things considered. But the reality was they needed to be a little bit more aggressive in a few situations. I agree with you in general, though, that over time, averaging 6.6 yards per play to the Browns 5.1, right? Like, the Seahawks statistically probably should have beaten the Browns by more than they did. They probably shouldn't have needed the multiple turnover advantage to have won that game, which they did in the end. I can't exactly pinpoint what happened, why, but I do think there's a reality of the stats count for all four quarters at the end of the game. You can't look at it and be like, well, quarter one was good, but the rest was bad. And then that last drive was good. Yeah, It's a totality of a game. And that's how you judge a team. And in the totality of the game, the Seahawks won the game. Statistically, they look pretty good against the Browns offense. It was a pretty good performance. And that's it. We should just be happy about it. And I think that was the vibe coming out of it was any win is a good win. And considering the opponent, the offense ultimately in the end played very well because just as Geno Smith was awesome in the first quarter and it was not necessarily as good in the second and third quarters, it didn't make the performance in the first quarter worse you just have to look at the performance in, in in a complete package. I mean, the thing I thought during the first quarter when I was getting too far ahead of my, myself was like, this was exactly what the Seahawks envisioned with their passing game this season. I guess maybe not the Jake Bobo part of it necessarily, but like Tyler Lockett was getting open and making key third down catches. DK Metcalf caught the deep ball. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba 
is, you know, making plays after the catch is obviously he most notably did in the uh, touchdown drive at the end of the game. We didn't see a lot of tight ends in the first quarter and somehow they were okay without that. And then that kind of seemed to loom large in the second and third quarter. They couldn't get the tight ends involved almost at all until the very end of this game when Noah Fant had a, a pretty important catch. But just kind of the the number of different dimensions they have and the dimensions that go beyond just DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like in that first quarter in on the final drive, pretty exciting. Totally. No, I totally agree. They definitely were running the good offense early on. They kind of tried to continue doing it and just ended up like there was the third down completion to Lockett that the, they had the penalty on. Like, I do actually think you could pinpoint, you could probably do this for the Browns as well, but you could pinpoint like three plays and be like, if those three plays hadn't happened, the Seahawks probably win by two touchdowns. One thing about your statistical comparison, penalties were a factor in that because the Seahawks did have some exactly. untimely defensive penalties that and, and that's what I'm saying with, with those few plays that you could look at and be like, like the hands to the face. I will tell you that was a pretty questionable hands to the face. I think there was a pass interference also that was just I didn't see anything on. But the there was a requal and hands to the face on a third and long right that gave the Browns a first down that they ended up scoring a touchdown on that series. Uh, the Seahawks also averaged 6.7 yards per carry in this game. Obviously, had the big carry from Ken Walker, the third. No other team had averaged more than 4.3 yards per carry against the Browns this season. And that kind of got just, again, wiped away in all of this. It was the pass interference on Requel and on the fourth and two. Right. Um, and then also, the, the hints of the face was on, or is that on Devin Witherspoon? I I can't remember that off the top of my head. So, I mean, it, there were kind of a couple of plays. Gino had one ball that should have probably been a pick six. So there's a little bit of luck there. But, like, you look at those, some of the long plays that the Browns had were, like, the I think the inside screen to David Njoku, which was, like, it's either going to go for a single yard or 40 yards. And they ended up not making the tackle, and it's a 40-yard play. So th- there were just kind of a few of these small moments that made the game a little bit closer than it should have been. A lot of screen passes. And stuff that I actually feel like the Seahawks have done quite a good job with. And overall, when you look at it, like yards per play-wise, they didn't play badly. I think it was maybe when you factor for P.J. Walker, but he was still like at a 50% completion percentage or worse, right? Less than 50% completion percentage. It's not like anybody played a good game on the Browns. You know what I mean? Dorian Thompson-Robinson's one one attempt was... Uh, I, I didn't even positive. know that he had one. I, 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 yeah, I just learned, yeah. Somehow I did not process that in real time. But then you look at like the the run game thing. Obviously, this was bolstered by long runs, but you look at Ken Walker average eight yards per carry, Charbonnet 10, and then the, the Browns players were all like close to four or whatever. They just kind of grinded it out a lot and then ended up punting too many times, which is ultimately what led to the Seahawks winning the game. But I do think that the Seahawks outplayed the Browns. It was a win. This was a game that also they didn't win last year. And I think that's what's huge about it is if they can beat... The Browns aren't even a bad team. Like, I don't want to say bad a bad team because the Browns are a top... Where they had in DVA this week? Uh, I mean, I doubt they changed much. They're like 12 in DVA, right? Somewhere around there. Uh, they are still 11th. 11th. So that's like a pretty good team that they beat at home. And last year, they lost to the fucking Raiders at home. They lost to the Panthers at home. They lost to the Falcons at home. They were brutal. I can't believe they lost all those games and somehow made the playoffs. But it's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> a win four against the NFC South and they made the playoffs. That is absurd. But you look at those losses that they had at home last year and then to have won this game, I think it is a pretty stark difference. Like this was an important game to come up with where they didn't necessarily played they didn't necessarily play their best game of the season but they still came up with a victory at home that's the kind of game that a good team wins and there were teams throughout the league you know you saw the chiefs lose you saw the eagles almost lose like there were good teams the niners get crushed by the bengals the seahawks didn't fall into that trap they didn't lose this game and so i think that is a huge deal whether it's predictive going forward or not, I don't know. And maybe that's why that brings us to the next piece. It sort of is, because the other piece of this, of course, is that one of those teams that lost 
for the third consecutive time was the San Francisco 49ers. Brock Purdy actually, his overall stats were quite good, but some costly interceptions in this one. Dropping the 49ers to five and three, a half game behind the Seahawks in the NFC West. And one wonders, I mean, certainly if like San Francisco were still rolling along at seven and one, things might be different. Would the Seahawks have traded for Leonard Williams today? I I don't think so. No, I, I think you're totally right that I think that the Niners play a huge part in that because I think they can see a window. There's a reality that the Eagles are still looming, but I do think, I don't know if there's an excellent team in the NFL, even the team who's number one in DVOA that we'll be seeing this weekend. I don't know if there's a team that necessarily stands out from the rest of the pack in the NFL and especially in the NFC. Statistically speaking, the Eagles, the record is good, but statistically speaking, I don't think you would say that the Eagles are unbeatable by any means, and they're going to lose some games during the regular season. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I would say that, I mean, they're they're not that high in terms of point differential. So, yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. No, they're often, at this point of the season, doesn't appear to be a great team, or there appears to be a great team, and that team is not actually a great team. Yes. I guess. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. There's almost always an undefeated team at this point, though. It is a little unusual to not have any undefeated teams. Who's got the best Dave in the league right now? Well, it is still... No, it, is, it is the Baltimore Ravens. That's okay. They have the best DVOA and the best Dave. Yeah. So we'll get to them in a second, though. Let's talk about this trade the Seahawks made and and some of the reasons why perhaps they were overestimating their chances. Oh, I also want to mention, I said that having Char- Charbonnet was a big deal. I just love Zach Char- Charbonnet. I knew, I thought you were going to comment on him being out there for the entire game-winning drive. I mean, Oh, absolutely. No, it was notable. I mean, they were in, he's, he's the third down offense, back. Yeah. But like... But had that, a huge run on that drive. Absolutely, he did. You knew I, that they were going to run at some point. I thought they might come yes. out on the first play and run. Uh... I, I think, I mean, look, Ken Walker had an okay game as well. I think Ken Walker, they both averaged amazing numbers, right? Because they didn't run the ball that many times. It was kind of funny. Both teams, I actually noticed this. The Browns in third and fourth and short situations passed a shocking amount of times. Where I was like, you really want to get the ball in P.J. Walker's hand in this I mean, third and the, one. The final whatever. play of the game was third and three or not, you know, the final play before that drive. They really passed put a, a lot of faith in PJ Walker, and for some of the game, it worked. There were some dimes that he dropped, like where he was dropping the ball in in the in between the zone, or whatever. Where I was like, "Wow, PJ Walker!" And then ultimately, of course, it ended up not working out. But like, because he's probably the worst starting quarterback in the NFL right now. But I was surprised both teams how often they passed in situations, short yardage situations. The Seahawks almost never ran in those situations. They had a couple of series where there's like a three and out and they got eight yards or nine yards. I think there were two of those series and it wasn't like third and one that they ended up trying to pound the ball or whatever and didn't get, it was almost always passing. There was one play that they picked up on the ground on short yards. Charbonnet picked it up, I believe. Correct. Yeah, no, I think that I, I am not with the running backs don't matter crowd. I am with, uh, obviously, offensive lines are more important as far as predictiveness, but I do think there is a difference in ability. Telling me that Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet are the exact same running back or that any running back would perform the same, I do not agree with. I don't think they're exact same running back. I do think there are different profiles, but I think I think that their success often, the differences in their success often end up overstated because of small sample sizes. So anyways, the Seahawks traded a second round pick next season and a fifth round pick in 2025 for Giants defensive lineman Leonard Williams. As part of this deal, uh, the Giants restructured Williams' contract to convert all but the remaining minimum salary into bonus, meaning the Seahawks will not be responsible for it. That's surely a big factor in terms of not taking on an additional cap hit, why the Seahawks were willing to give up so much in terms of draft capital here. Williams was drafted number six overall out of USC in 2015, was a pro bowler in his second season, 2016. That's his only appearance. Yeah, kind of shocking. He didn't make it in 2020, his most productive year in terms of sacks when he had a career high 11 and a half. Uh, The players followed that up by selecting him to the NFL 100 in both 2021 and 2022, but not this year. 
that was his first full season with the Giants after being traded from the Jets ahead of his first uh, go round uh, potential free agency. The Giants gave up a third rounder and a fifth rounder in that situation. They then franchised Williams twice before signing him to a long-term contract well on the franchise tag in 2021. Williams had six and a half sacks in 2021, just two and a half in 12 games last year, one and a half so far this season. His pressure and hurry rates have also declined, though not as dramatically, but he does rank 19th or did rank 19th in pass rush win rate among interior linemen going into last week's games that hasn't yet been updated by ESPN analytics, which gives the Seahawks two top 20 players by this metric with Jaron Reed being the other. And then they also have two top 20 players in edge rush win rate through last week with Boye Mafe and Daryl Taylor. So what, what did you think about this deal? Oh, I think it's a terrible deal. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, just there's a reality to this of I get, I understand exactly where everybody is coming from and it's exciting to have Leonard Williams. I'm happy about it on the field for the rest of this season, but I do feel like the Seahawks front office, you have to accept people for their strengths and their weaknesses. And I think the thing that we should be thankful for is this is not going to be a franchise debilitating trade. <laughs> like the Jamal Adams trade. I love Jamal Adams. By the way, I want to mention that too. I think they they played a little like, I don't know if they mentioned this on the broadcast, but they were doing a little bit of Kawhi Leonard with Jamal Adams during the game, right? Like they, they, were, they had series where he didn't play at all. I don't know if that counts as Kawhi Leonard. I think players have been sitting out series in football for a long time before load management existed in the NBA. But they did a little bit of load management. With I mean, they also just have a lot of good defensive players. No, I like it. I'm like, I I want him in there. Anything we could do to keep Jamal Adams healthy. I love Jamal Adams and Devin Witherspoon are fucking insane people. And I love when they're together and how much they just like feed off each other. That when you see the two of them come together after a hit, it is like Jamal Adams found a kindred spirit in Devin Witherspoon, right? I almost wonder, like, like on that side of the field, if Jamal is over there and there's a hit, they are the most hyped people on the face of the earth together. It's incredible. Like, I totally see what Pete Carroll loved about, also the number five pick too, right? Jamal was five pick, number five pick also, I believe, right? I could see what Pete Carroll loved he was so six. much. He was six. Yeah. Okay. About Jamal Adams and saw that in Devin Witherspoon. Like they are very, very like similar, similar personalities on the field and what they want to do. Um, <clears throat> so if this doesn't work out, I, I, I don't think it'll be like a franchise debilitating trade or anything like that. It's not that huge of a deal. It's not multiple first round picks. We're not going to be lamenting the second round pick probably in years. But at the same time, this is half a season. And look, the Seahawks aren't having to pay him, but that's not really a huge deal at this point. Saving a little bit of money through. I the mean, it's a huge deal. Year. Otherwise, they would not have been able to make this trade. Cap wise, it is to get him onto the roster. But as far as long term for the Seahawks, it's not that huge of a help. Does that make sense? I mean, it's interesting because it continues this trend of there's these two contrasting trends. Number one, the Seahawks have like this terrific core of young talent from the Russell Wilson trade and all the extra picks they accumulated in that in that trade. And at the same time, they've also put like a huge amount into 2023 in terms of restructuring contracts and pushing money into future years and signing veterans with Bobby Wagner and and now Williams is a part of that. So they're and and you can maybe even say Geno Smith, like he, the way that his contract is structured. They're simultaneously both like super in on 2023 and trying to like manage things long term. It, I mean, that's a good thing. That's a that's a positive that you're talking about because I do feel like they 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 will be able to be in on multiple seasons after this. They're not. Yeah, gonna I don't think they're going to be like in a Saints situation where no, you know, no, no they, absolutely not. The but also because they have up. the young talent, it allows them to be able to do that because of the young talent and knowing that it's coming. But I think it's possible that this is the best roster the Seahawks have in this era, even with the development of their young talent. What era are we talking? What's the year? What year are we setting on the era? Because they've had some pretty damn good teams not that long ago. I mean, I'm looking forward. I'm saying between now and, you know, 2027. You literally could not predict that. 
Strike that for the record. <laughs> like, like, what is the development that's going to happen with players? You know what I mean? Like, is we have no you idea. understand that I, I literally do future power rankings. How? But you have no idea. You cannot just predict saying, what's going to happen I'm just with saying, this roster. It's possible because of what they've done that, you know, if they're not able to re-sign Bobby Wagner next offseason, if Williams walks away in free agency, that this could be a better roster than they have in future years, even though Devin Witherspoon will continue to get better. And, and you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba and all these young players and Rick Woolen. We will give that a future we'll see. But I think the most Charles important Cross, piece, piece of this is you have to accept people for their positives and their negatives. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, the rebuild that they have had. I mean, right now, Pete Carroll is back to sainthood Pete Carroll for me, right? Like the rebuild that they have put together during this time period, having the secondary, the exciting young players, like the drafts that they have had these last two years, they have proven to us that they actually were capable of doing it again. Seeing Pete Carroll on the sideline with the fucking throwback on, it was immaculate. You know what I mean? You're like, that is our coach. I don't know if it we would have been have... as immaculate if they would have lost 2017. I honestly, even if even if they had, I still would have been like, Pete Carroll's a baller. We could have Arthur Smith and his mustache as the coach. You know what I mean? There are a lot worse outcomes. Dennis Allen is somehow, and I was I was watching you're, Dennis Allen. And I was I'm like, sorry. You you are aware of what happened with the Raiders today, right? You're going to go with Dennis John, Allen over look, Josh McDaniels. There are so many bad coaches throughout the league. I what did the I Josh McDaniels also is bad process wise. I can't even tell, but it's, I was thinking about it and I was like, sometimes people who actually are maybe not that smart somehow can end up as coaches in the NFL. That's okay. Pete Carroll has in game has, has become more modern with the way that he approaches football. The offense yesterday, it was a, it was a modern offense in a lot of ways. They ran the good offense for a lot of that game. It didn't always work. Could have used more play action, but they, I mean, they passed they the ball a ton. An end around a Jake Bobo. You know great. what I mean? Like yeah. the, the movement that they had, the pre-snap motion that they had, was unlike anything that we've seen. Like, this is a different level of Seahawks offense. This wasn't the Russell Wilson offense. So we have to be so appreciative of that. At the same time, John Schneider and Pete Carroll have told us that this is what they do. You know what I mean? They ain't going to stop doing it just because they ended up with a good roster from the Russell Wilson trade. They are just because who, it works to trade away a veteran doesn't mean they're going to stop trading for veterans. They, they have been doing this. Since the beginning of time, when Pete Carroll was born, like that is what the, that is what Pete Carroll and John Schneider do. Their actions have told us in the same way that we know that the Mariners are not going to sign Shohei Otani because of their actions. They told us with their actions and their words. Pete Carroll and John Schneider have told us with their actions and their words that they are in on everybody. And by being in on everybody, it means that sometimes you trade a second round pick for Leonard Williams for half of a season, and you have to accept both. If it leads to a Super Bowl, then that's amazing. If it leads to a to a division win, honestly, it's probably worth it. But even if the, it leads to a playoff win, maybe the thing the thing is that you get with a second round pick is the controlled asset for multiple years, and not only are you giving up, you're you're not getting that player for those seasons. You're not getting the value from that player for that time period, right? The excess value that a good second round pick. I mean, look at Boye Mafe, right? Boye Mafe, if he continues to progress the way that we think he's going to progress, honestly, even if he was a free agent this offseason, that is a massive contract coming. Yeah. And the Seahawks have him on a very team-friendly contract because he was a second for round pick. two more pick. years. <clears throat> that is an extraordinarily valuable player to have on your roster. So as many shots as you have, there's an argument to be made that second-round picks are more valuable than first-round picks, right? Yeah. So to 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 trade a second-round pick for Leonard Williams for literally, I mean, what what game are we at? They're they're four and two right now, five they, and two. They have, they have ten games remaining. Ten games left in the regular season, plus a playoff game. You are giving up what could be up to. 80 games of a player, something like that of team control. It is a huge deal, but then also the flexibility piece in the draft. So taking away that second round pick, I know people have mentioned that they also have the third back from the Broncos, which gives them a little bit more flexibility. Having more of those is good, right? It's the, I mean, that's what we saw the last two years. Like 
hey, when you have four picks in the first two rounds, you can do some really fun things. Yes. It's the flexibility in the draft, but then also it's the rebuilding your roster year after year and having young talent come in. Because you do see these rosters that if you don't have picks, the St. Louis Rams, the LA Rams too, in fact, the the <laughs> they were taking it back to the old Rams. school. The but for the Rams with their fuck them pick strategy, right? They weren't able to build up the next generation of their roster. It is empty behind what they have, right? They have got one star in Puka Nakua, nothing else. But you don't have that kind of roster flexibility when you don't have these second round picks. That's who your your future generation of your team is always those draft picks. That's what they are. It's not Leonard Williams. So I get it. It's not a huge risk going in or going all in on the season. But at the same time, losing a second round pick is a big deal. We've done this before and it hasn't worked before. Doing it, doing it mid-season, you get less games from Leonard Williams. I understand that the literal cost is not high to the team is very low to the team. But the alternative cost of not having that second-round pick is a huge deal. It is a massive deal, and it's probably underrated how big of a deal it is to have Leonard Williams. Because I look at it, and I see Leonard Williams, and I'm like, is he going to be playing in all these games? That's a risk that we're taking now. If he's gone, if he gets injured, if he misses any time, it's the value's gone. It's out the window, Right. I think Leonard Williams is awesome. Having him I mean, is huge. I could that's you could say that about anyone. That's that's a ridiculous no, argument. You couldn't no, say that about that's anyone. That's not no, Listen, because a second because if he was a second if he was a second round pick, you was, have him for the next year and the next year. And otherwise, next you would year. just trade everyone on your roster for second round picks. So no, Absolutely. we're rejecting oh, that wow. argument. I just came up with the most genius idea though. If you could make a team all out of second round picks, that would be a very good football team. Okay, so would but, you trade DK Metcalf for a second round pick? Would you trade Tyler Lockett for a second round pick? Would you try? I mean, not Jackson. How, how Smith and honest are we being right now about some of these players? Because there's would, a reality. There's a reality long term that Tyler part of the reason teams are willing pick, to give up picks for players is because you get them at lower cost. That's why the second round pick is valuable. Now they've, as you've said, condensed four years of value into just one year of the Leonard Williams. That's field. what I'm the saying. The thing you're completely ignoring is the possibility that they get a compensatory pick if Williams does leave in free agency this year. Obviously, that requires a lot of optimism that the Seahawks are disciplined enough to not sign this year's Evan Brown to a contract that cancels out Williams in free agency. And I don't know what his market would be. It's probably like more like a fourth round pick than it is a third round pick, and it's a year down the road. But it's not that... That potential pick is, is not the, the, zero. The, the injury piece is so shocking to you, but th- that's what I'm saying is that when you have a player under but anyone control, could be injured. He's also look. You could look at rates of injury for 22 year olds versus 31 year olds. I can guess which way it's gonna go. But the I other suppose. piece that that annoys me is the glib people being like uh, at Peltoncast on Twitter tweeted this. The the like, well, you can't blow a pick on a running back if you don't. First off, they are getting value from both of those running backs. They literally yeah. averaged eight plus yards per carry yesterday. Thank you. But also beyond that, uh, and they protected the Seahawks from drafting one in the first round because that could have happened as well. <laughs> oh fuck, you might have to leave. Yes, we're going to have to turn this into a part one of two. There's no details as yet on the James Harden trade. So I, I will make my anti this trade argument if you're done. But that 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 was. Oh, I, I just don't agree with the, the glib. I just saw the James Harden news and I was totally <laughs> lost right of that. <clears throat> I saw it a few minutes ago. I let you just fuck it. He's rolling. But but the reality is. They could draft anybody with that pick just because they've drafted running backs for the last two years. They also drafted Boye Moffitt. That is a monster second round pick that they got. So just being like, I'm they aware. Have also, drafted. Boye Moffitt was drafted higher than they expected their pick to be. That's the other part of this is that they think it's not going to be a very high second round pick. Still valuable. I don't. I don't know. I like still valuable, but that's I, part of their logic. And now, you know, here's I will be the argument so happy against. with Le- this. Is not an anti Leonard Williams perspective. This is a pro second round pick perspective. And I, also, I think we all get that. Okay. I, the The argument that I would make about this trade is: Are they just overreacting to the fact that Trent Williams and Debo Samuel have been injured? And the 49ers are still clear. And the fact that they've had an extremely easy schedule so far, the third easiest per DVOA, or the, the easiest per DVOA, their remaining schedule is the third hardest. Yeah, but who's DVOA. harder? Not the Niners. It's not, because I looked at that Niners schedule, and they have some, like, they have some very tough games coming up. 
And but the, so there's a reality. And their date is still dramatically better. So therefore, you know, they win the division 71% of the time in in the DVOA simulations. The Seahawks win it 27% of the time. Trent Williams so is yes, also there's 35-year-old offensive lineman. Just being oh, like... They should treat him for a second-round pick, obviously. Of I, course they should. <laughs> An injured 35-year-old... No, they shouldn't. Because maybe, they, know, they could not. win the Super Bowl this year. Brock Purdy is not winning a Super Bowl. Clip that. Clip that in February. Brock Purdy is not winning a Super Bowl. I will say your your Brock Purdy takes from last year in the playoffs, going into the playoffs, that 49ers fans objected to uh, aging a little bit better at the moment, I would say. But they are a team. Somebody is going to be hurt. You have to factor that in. I agree that the Seahawks are probably... Look, the Niners are probably a better team than the Seahawks. We can admit that, right? And going forward, there's a higher chance of the 49ers winning the division than the Seahawks. I see that game on Thanksgiving Day. I don't say to myself, oh, the Seahawks have a better than 50% chance of winning that game. Because it's just a really fucking good Niners team. But at the same time, they have not been playing all that well. And they do have a weakness at quarterback. So if if it all it requires is missing one of Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Trent Williams, like... Some I think of those they could do without Ayuk. Some of those players are not going to be on the field. That's fair. Uh, but and also that schedule. I I I mean they're going into Jacksonville. I would assume that team is five and four after next week. Uh, I I wouldn't go that far. Uh, what do you think the spread is? I guarantee you that the the Jags are favored. Maybe they're probably they're. I think the Jags should be favored at home. That's a pretty fucking good Jags team. The let's see here. The 49ers have the sixth hardest remaining schedule. It's not easy. No, but it's it's harder than the Seahawks. And, you know, the half game advantage is is not, you know, they're still better in DBOA than the Seahawks are. So. Uh, well, again, we're going to make this a part one. Wait, hold on. Gonna... I, want, I want to find the the I, are they off? In week nine, is it week ten that they play the the Jags? They are off in week nine. Week ten, they will be at Jacksonville. So that's that probably will improve the chances that uh, I mean, they right get now, Debo Samuel nine, and or Trent Williams back for Sunday, November twelfth. Oh, and it's in Europe. Oh, interesting. Is that right? Six thirty. Are the Jags going back? No, that is not right. That this might game be, is, that's this game is in Jacksonville. That are six thirty a.m. Okay, that's in Jacksonville. Yeah. It was the game above them that was six thirty. <laughs> but on that note, <laughs> so thanks for listening to what turned out to be a semi-emergency pod. We'll be back later in the week with I don't the, care about the roundup, stuff. the Sounders. Seahawks Ravens preview, Bracken. and we'll talk a lot extended about the UW USC game. Can Can you tell me? Can we get a preview of what you're going to grade this trade off the cuff? I don't know what they traded, so no, I have no idea. <laughs> There's only so much I can do right now in terms of writing. That's why I'm still talking to you. As a as a base trade for James Harden, what what does that get? I mean, if it's the deal that was previously on the table, then it's probably in the B range for both teams. So. Look, my grade will be up by the time I post this. I'm going to write the grid and then post this podcast in all okay. likelihood. So as you'll know. Just freaking 11 o'clock Pacific time, huh? It was a choice. Woj bomb. Wow. Thanks for listening. Thanks. I fully did not understand your costume until days later. Until I until I posted it on with social media with the context of the tweet. Yeah. Like I, this like Kayleen after was like, what did this seemingly mean about ranch? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> You're just not online enough. It was interesting. Uh, we, we were the same ketchup and seemingly ranch uh, yeah. costumes to dinner on Sunday night and uh, multiple people passing by on the street commented on it. But none of like, the people like, in the oh, group the we went to dinner with. Condiments. They didn't say that necessarily. They said, oh, like, seemingly Ranch loved that great costume. Okay. Because it's it was from a tweet from somebody 
specifically saying that Taylor Swift had ketchup and seemingly ranch. Yes, which went viral. I <laughs> I I get it and it's funny. It's way better now that I understand the context of it. But I I, I definitely Kayleen after was just like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know. I guess they were just some condiments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, you don't need to know the context necessarily. No, it just adds to been, the joke. Been condiments. I, I feel like this is the first ever time that I did a couple's Halloween costume, and uh, I feel like Kayleen didn't like. She didn't enjoy it as much as she thought she would being part of a couple's costume. If that makes sense. Wow. Because you also need to have the person next to you the entire time. <laughs> And you were mostly watching the you game. Yeah. But but also like I don't you're just not gonna be standing next to the person the whole actually I think you and were mostly right next to each other, so it worked. But like the the zombie pack twelve thing, which I thought was a good idea because I didn't want to wear the other costume around the whole time. But people were just like, Oh, you're an Oregon State fan, huh? <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, go beeves, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I think we have to remember Jonathan Smith's tenure in Seattle, uh, the TJ Hushmanzada years. Like, let's remember all the good things that the Beavs have done for us. I don't know. Like, I just the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It was a rough it, night for you and your lifelong Beavs fan. My Beavs fan, Keelan's uh, zombie wazoo definitely did not go well. People were just like, "What?" <laughs> it was an oh, honestly, the both of the uh, pack two. We're kind of cursed on Saturday. Washington State's been a little cursed for a while now. They might just be bad. <laughs> Sometimes you're just bad. You're not cursed. <laughs> the curse of being in Pullman. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I do feel like Halloween costumes, like they they've gotten to be like a little bit too much of thinkers, where like social media has actually ruined Halloween costumes. Because you see it, and really Halloween costumes are just about posting the original picture and then yourself in the costume replicating the picture. I, it's kind I, of I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it is so much actually like how social media has ruined all things. Everyone could tell immediately that I was the Pepe Silvia episode Charlie last year. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I but you know what I'm saying? Like you just like wear the costume and nobody has any idea. And then you post it with the photo. And you know, the thing about Halloween is the point is not necessarily for people to recognize what you are. I was at the, uh, at the trunk or treat. Did I tell you about this already? No. At the trunk or treat. And I was, so I was Jack Skellington and I was having on right? Which I'll tell you the kids, they just do not pick up on on um, and the joke. And then, so I was just like kind of doing bits with them. And, <laughs> And because the ennui thing did not work, so you, you were being there. Jack at the start of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, kind of the whole movie. I guess you're saying by the end he rediscovered the the he's, joy of Halloween. He's actualized. Uh, but it's so at some point I was like, just moved to being like I would just guess. I was like, "What are you?" And then I would guess something totally wrong. Or whatever, and the, not a single child <laughs> thought it was funny. Literally, not one. Kids, kids, yeah, kids are too literal with that sort of thing. I there was a kid who who came up in a Thor costume, and I was like the Hulk, and, <laughs> and he was like, "No, I'm a Marvel superhero," and I was like, "Spider Man." <laughs> and he, <laughs> there's there's the oh I my mean, god. I mean, I think part of it is that kids are just like around people who don't get stuff all the time so they never like they <laughs> don't think don't it's funny <laughs> to no they don't think it's funny to like intentionally not get oh, something the, like you know what i'm saying the, there's there's like a reasonable chance for children to think that an adult would not know who thor was exactly yeah, yeah. okay that's actually pretty fair um the ask ask maybe as fantasy genius about that sometimes <laughs> the um Oh my god, so some kid came up wearing Ghostface from Scream, the mask, and I was like, what are you? <laughs> and he was like, I'm like from your from the best horror movie, and I was like, Michael Myers? <laughs> and he was like, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. That's a subjective no. thing. 
Um, he was like Ghostface, and I was like Ghostface Killer from the Wu Tang Clan. Didn't get it at all. My favorite though. Oh my god! Some kid came up wearing just an Italia shirt, literally not even a costume, and I was like, "This kid has my best costume in the entire night." <laughs> oh, there it is. There <laughs> he also is. literally no idea who the fuck I am or anything or why I'm so happy about him wearing just <laughs> just his Italia shirt. I gave him all sorts of stuff. It was. <laughs> Anyway, none of it hit. None of the jokes hit. Nothing. Uh, I, I was like over one hundred. I think there was like more to your demographic. One adult who who thought it was funny. <laughs> I think there was also a kid who came dressed like Leo Messi, and I was like, you know, I look just like him, and he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that's faded. I don't know. People don't the think Leo you Messi look like thing? Messi anymore. Literally on Saturday, one of the kids oh. who was there, yeah, we were kicking the soccer ball around. And he was like, did you know you look just like, or no, he didn't even say, did you know? He said, you look just like Leo Messi. And I said, I know. <laughs> well, therefore, it was a successful Halloween. Yeah. I mean, honest, that's who I should have gone as. Wait, what am I doing? <laughs> Next year. How did I not think of this as a Halloween costume until this very moment? <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous that you have not thought about this as a Wait, costume. Wait, this is kind of bonkers. <laughs> well, there's there's still time as we record this. <laughs> But I would save that for 2024. He, I guess Argentina would be the way to go. I was going to say he's permanently on Barcelona to me. And of course, when I did, I would pronounce it Barcelona. Um, but they don't in Catalan, do they? I thought yeah. they do in Catalan. No, I think they do in Castilian. Oh. So you're saying it is pronounced Barcelona? I think so. Because Ugh. that's why the name of the club, the short name of the club is Barca. Bartha. <laughs> okay. Okay, Justin Bartha. Uh wow, next year I have to go as Messi. And we have three children too. They could just they they could just be Messi's children. <laughs> I mean that's a harder costume to pull off, I would say. Mateo losing his shit at the trunk or treat too, while dressed as DK Metcalf, was like so spot on. <laughs> <laughs> 